Today, we're going to be finishing up our nearly year-long study in the book of Romans. Uh, It's just been this big year of a broad understanding of who God is and what he's done, but also just a really deep, profound look at uh, all the works of God through history for our sake. As Paul says in the very beginning of Romans, he says, I'm not ashamed of the good news, the gospel, because it's the power of God to save. And then the rest of that book uh, that we've been reading, we've been hearing over and over again about this news of Jesus that is the power of God uh, that has shaken this world and all experiences that we have because of it. That the main thing hanging over our entire lives Uh, I was just telling my daughter this the other day. The main thing happening in our lives is Jesus and what we will do with him. Whether we will believe, whether we will live, whether we will receive uh, that good news. Uh, Just to summarize what we've talked about in Romans, because it really has been since January of this year. uh, We began by seeing in the very first chapters just the depth of sin. Uh, The depth of brokenness, how people have decided to just do bad things and then say, hey, that's good, it's pleasing. Uh, We talked about the the depth of it, uh, not just societally, like how all things are broken, all things are distorted, uh, but also how internally we too, no matter how much work we put into it or how much effort or how many rules or how many regulations we put into place, we are still very broken. There's several chapters on just that kind of depth of sadness around sin. And then we, right quickly after that, Paul jumps into the depth of Jesus's mission to restore and to conquer that sin and that death and that evil. There's all these wonderful chapters about how, yes, sin is very deep in our society, very deep within us. Sin touches everything. Brokenness touches everything. Evil, it seems like, is conquering. But Jesus goes further and is more and is deeper and is stronger. That's what we heard about. And then we talked about the hope of life in Jesus, that there is nothing, no amount of circumstances, no powers, uh, no situation that could ever separate us from that hope in Jesus, from the love that has conquered all things. Then we talked about how the Spirit uh, is given to us, and it's the power to bring life, that the Holy Spirit lets us live not as slaves anymore, not in bondage anymore, but live as free sons and daughters of God. Really great, right? Y'all remember this stuff? And that, that the Spirit is so working in our lives that every hard, terrible thing that we even experience is actually God conforming us into his image and making all things good, even in the darkest of days. And then recently, we've talked about a transformed life. As Paul describes, he says, a life that is a living sacrifice, that we get to live an abundant life where Jesus is our main thing. And that is the whole book of Romans. You're like, man, maybe we should have spent a few minutes doing that, not a full year. But it's been so good uh, to do that. And now it's kind of like one of those moments where you sit back and you're like, well, what am I supposed to do now? If all of that is true and all of that is good, what do I do now? Kind of like on Thursday when we're done eating uh, all of the carbs and all of the sweets and all of the meats, we're going to sit back, and I always have this thought every Thanksgiving, I sit back, I'm like, so now what are we supposed to do? (laughs) Like, we just ate, we just drank, like, that was, the whole thing has happened, and now, like, what is it that we're supposed to, are we supposed to pretend we like football, are we supposed to pretend that, like, this parade is really cool, like, what are we supposed to do now that we've all gotten together and now that we've all eaten, right? 
And I think that that is essentially where we are now. Now that we have feasted, now that we have consumed and heard, uh, even begun to live out little implications of this good news that Paul writes about in Romans, we're left asking, what do we do now? What's next? What is it that we're, we're supposed to walk in from now on? The, uh, the Apostle Paul who wrote Romans he ends this book, and a lot of people just kind of stop reading at this point, and I get it because it seems kind of boring. He just starts talking about all of these little details, these names that uh, we can't pronounce. It's like, I, I know, you know ancient Greek, and I can't pronounce these words either. You're about to find out how hard these words. And so we just think, hey, all of this is just like some mundane statements that Paul's making about logistics and plans. There's a few thank you notes. It's like, it's, it's a little strange as if we were to go through and look at our moleskins or whatnot of our little to-do lists and our plans that we draw out on little pieces of paper and say, oh, that's, that's like the holy word of God, right? But what I have to tell you is that these words are holy and sacred and have a deep uh, picture of what it means to walk away or walk with the gospel through all of life. It, what he describes is the everyday reality and the priorities of those people who have encountered Jesus. That's what he's describing. And I think it's really great. And so as we read today, I hope that we can see ourselves in this big story that's being described. Uh, that, that he's talking in very normal ways. He's describing what it means to live out a life focused on the kingdom of Jesus. And see how our life trajectory from now on, having studied this, is really different. Uh, and so I'm going to start by reading Romans chapter 15, verse 14. Uh, and he says this, he says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly at some points to remind you of them again, because the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and what I have done. By the power of the signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God, from Jerusalem all the way through Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand." This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there. And, I have enjoyed your and after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people. For Macedonia and Acacia... We're pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I've completed this task and I've made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. 
I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea, and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy, and by God's will, and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. And that's where we're going to stop just for now. This passage is uh, it's full of just him explaining what he's about to do. Uh, he writes about his plans. Uh, what he's going to do is he's, there's these churches uh, all throughout Asia, uh, like modern-day Turkey uh, and Greece, who have decided uh, that, the, that they're going to gather a, bu- a bunch of money and they're going to send it to the churches in Jerusalem because those churches there, there's a huge economic crisis happening, famine. Lots of people were sick and hungry and in deep need. And these churches decided they would gather up a bunch of money and then send it with someone to that church so that the church there could not only meet uh, the needs of the people in the body, but also would be a blessing to that entire city and that entire region because they would be bringing in all of these kingdom resources that they didn't have any access to. And so Paul's saying, look, my plan is, uh, because I've been traveling around the world for a long time, I'm going to go back to Jerusalem, I'm going to give them this gift, and then I hope that I'm going to survive that, because he knew there were people, there were bounties on his head, he was was going to get arrested, uh, is what he pretty much thought. You can read more about that in the book of Acts. But as he goes, uh, he has this plan to one day return uh, and go through Rome, this bustling city that he's never been to before, and then he'll go to Spain, real Spain. There's nothing special about that word. It's, it's like actual Spain, and that's his plan. Uh, why? Because people there haven't heard the gospel there. But I think what we see is deep within these plans, uh, we get to find out what really drives him, uh, what really motivates him, what his priorities are, and, and they're for us, too, I believe. Uh, first, he says, in, in verse 14, he says that his whole thing is to remind them. The whole reason he wrote this letter, this is the longest letter he ever wrote that's recorded and kept in the Bible, and the whole reason he wrote it wasn't because they didn't know. Like he says uh, in verse 14 that I read, you're filled with knowledge. It's not because they have really bad attitudes and motivation. He says, you're filled with goodness, Right? He also uh, doesn't do it because they don't know what to do. He says, you're very competent. So he writes this really long letter that we've spent a year, you know, understanding and trying to, you know, immerse ourselves in. He writes this whole letter to a people who have really wonderful motivations, who are good, who are filled with knowledge, who know the stuff that he's saying, and who are even able to teach it to each other. Why does he do that? And this, we see the, this main priority that he has in his life. He says that I boldly proclaim these points to you to remind you of them again because of the grace that God gave me to proclaim the gospel. What are we supposed to do after this big feast in understanding God and what he's doing in the world? We're supposed to commit ourselves, like Paul did, to reminding everybody, even those of us who already know the good news, 
who already have lived in it, who are good, who are moral, who are ethical people, who are already even sacrificing their lives. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to go to them and experience the grace and the glory of God by reminding each other again and again and again. And Paul gets so much pleasure out of it. You can read it right here. He's like, I'm so excited. This is what my whole life is about that I get to explain to people over and over again who already know this, hey, Jesus really is this good. The power of resurrection really is this powerful. The hope of glory really is that hopeful. This is the whole trajectory of his life. But he has another thing that we find out here in his description of his plans. He says in verse 18, he says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished. He he, he then goes on to describe that his whole motivation besides reminding people is telling people who don't even know and who have never heard. He He says this wonderful thing, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God, so from Jerusalem all the way to uh, sorry, uh, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ because it's always been my ambition. And this word ambition, it really is the word ambition. Like some of us have this powerful ambition to buy bigger homes or get better careers or all of those things. Paul's full ambition for his life was this, to pre- preach the gospel where Christ was not yet known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Then he says, this is what he clings to as hope in verse 21. He says, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. Besides his desire to remind everyone of this constantly, which is our big to-do list, like we should remind each other of the good news of the gospel over and over again and never tire of it. The second thing is to take the gospel, this message, and proclaim it and share it in all of these places where it hasn't been heard, it hasn't been understood, where Jesus hasn't been seen. And that is what drives him and motivates him. Why? Because Paul was a man transformed. Once you taste the goodness of the hope and the love and the mercy of Jesus, your whole life is just spent differently. Your whole ambition, his whole idea of glory is altered. And one of the beautiful things about Paul in the New Testament is that he uses this word glory over and over again in all of his letters. It's this Greek word doxa. A lot of churches choose that name because it's cool. It's four letters, like our name, four-letter names. Anyway, he uses this word glory over and over again. Not because it's a really big spiritual word that has this sacred special meaning, but because it had cultural meaning throughout all of Rome. The people's lives, their whole trajectory was about building and climbing this ladder. This this whole uh, system was in place in Rome to where you could attain more and more personal glory that would last for generations. And so when Paul says that he's now giving his whole ambition and life to the glory of Jesus being known, he's saying, I've traded that glory, the glory of building my life, to the glory of building the kingdom of God because he's a person who's transformed and he's spending his life differently. Paul was raised in a really religious home by probably religious leaders. He 
uh, was taught how to live a very moral, ethical life. Paul was also really smart and highly educated. He was given all of these opportunities for this really great payoff. He was going to uh, be a leader of people. He was going to explain to them how to follow all the rules and how to obey. His whole life was set on that trajectory, so much so that when people came believing uh, that God was a God of grace and love and mercy, Christians, he put them to death. He persecuted them. He carried stones in his pockets to throw at these people. Paul was someone who probably, very likely, was in the crowd or on the stage when the people were chanting, crucify him, crucify him to Jesus. And then this man, Paul, uh, life is transformed by seeing Jesus. I think one of the reasons he quotes this uh, passage from the Old Testament from Isaiah here is because it was what he experienced. In verse 21, he saw Jesus, and then he heard and he understood. That's Paul's life in a nutshell. And from then on, his entire motivation was to remind people who already knew the good news and to tell people who didn't know the good news, the good news. That is his whole life. And he's not special. That's for us too. You know, as a teenager, I was a really angry person. Uh, and, and my whole trajectory was around a brute force in all of these different arenas, except for God, who came and interrupted my life and taught me about his deep, undying love for me. And then as a young adult in college, I was so driven on this trajectory of performance, uh, of, of performing really well for other people or getting a many, many people to like me that was going to lead me uh, towards this uh, really sad, pathetic end. But then Jesus interrupted my life, taught me about the, the, the sure foundation that I get to experience in Jesus, that I am not more loved by performing better. I'm not more loved by getting some people to like me who don't even know me. Jesus says, I see you, Brad. I love you. You are mine. You cannot do more to earn more of my grace. It's already overflowing in your life. Change my trajectory. And then as a young married person, I was so driven to selfishness and getting all of my things that I really wanted. God changed my life yet again. Seeing him and his glory and his power and mine not so much. I was in a pit of despair on a trajectory to lifelong despair when Jesus interrupted my life and taught me hope and the power of him coming from the grave. That's my life. And I know that that's probably your life too if you've encountered Jesus. Overall, I was kind of planning my life, imagining where I would go, uh, what I would do, how I would do it, what people would think about me, what I could build for myself. But then the truth, the good news of Jesus, that he conquered sin and death and evil through his own life, death, and resurrection changed my life and the trajectory of it entirely. And so just to be clear, what happens for me now and what happens for you also is that every aspect of my life, my kids' soccer games, my gardening, my work, my travel, my vacations, all of my planning, my home purchasing, all of those things are now seen through this lens. How can that be used to remind people of who Jesus is? And how can it proclaim Jesus to people who don't know him? That's what our lives are about now. All things are seen through that lens. 
every time we you know, get online and we're purchasing tickets to go fly all over the world, every time we're trying to discern what home to buy or what couch to buy, or every time we're imagining what career to step into or job to take, all of it is now through the lens of how will Jesus make himself known in that space? How will this remind people of the good news of the gospel? And here's the, you know, spoiler alert, you're still going to be buying couches and going on vacations and making plans for your life. Still going to be putting money in a 401k or whatever it is if you're super responsible. Or if you're not responsible and you're like, hey, when's the next pandemic happening? I better spend this money now. Which one's more responsible? I don't know. But you're still going to do all of those things. You're still going to plan your life, just as Paul did. I mean, he's just talking about his desire to go to Spain. I mean, we all want to go to Spain. Like, that sounds nice. But he's saying the whole lens in which he will ride on the boat, where he will purchase a ticket, his whole travel plans will be done with an orientation of how can I remind people of Jesus and how can I share Jesus with people who do not know so that people will see and people will understand. That's pretty fantastic, isn't it? The next thing that we see is that uh, it's not just Paul, it's not just us as individual, but it also creates a whole uh, movement beyond us. What we've studied in Romans uh, is not just for us to end you know, on ourselves, and now we have this new life and a new perspective, but it actually uh, creates a church. Uh, it's not just one-off people, but a community is formed that reminds each other of the gospel and then makes the gospel known. That's what we see in chapter 16. So now you really get to hear me say some cool names. Chapter 16, verse 1, he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church of uh, Centria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epintus, who was the first convert, convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They're an outstanding among the apostles. They were in Christ before I was. Greet uh, Amphilatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachius. Greet Apollos, who, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test of time. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, whose women, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegian, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philogius, Julia, Nereus, and his sisters, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet, send greetings. Oh man, that's fun. 
this uh, is these names and these situations and what he's describing is the history of this church of Rome. Uh, you don't know when you were coming today that you were going to get this awesome church history lesson, but here, here it is. Uh, in the 30s, or maybe as late as the early 40s, like A.D., uh, this, a group of people, group of Christians, uh, be, uh, came to faith in Jerusalem, probably around the time of Pentecost, after Jesus rose from the dead and he you know, ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit fell, and there were all these people that accepted Christ on that day in Acts chapter 2. There were probably a handful of those people became Christians, uh, these Jewish people, and then for whatever reason traveled to Rome, either for work or better opportunities or because they had a role in the government to play. They were, they were moved to Rome. And there they entered into that city, became part of the Jewish synagogue culture because they were Jewish people. They met in cultural centers in the, the east side of Rome. And there they shared all of this goodness about Jesus being the Messiah and the king that everyone had already been waiting for. And so what happened in the, the late 30s, early 40s, is many people, primarily Jewish people, became Christians in this city. There wasn't a special disciple didn't go to them. There was no special campaigns or anything. It was just people like you and me moving to a city like you and I have to make a life. And as they did, they started this little movement of Christianity. However, in 47 AD, this is big numbers, uh, Emperor Claudius, who's the emperor at the time, uh, through a lot of uh, you know, common things that we see in life today, uh, decided to make the Jewish people the scapegoat for problems. And so he banned Jewish people from the city of Rome. They had to go elsewhere, tore down the synagogues, uh, shut down the Jewish enclaves, the cultural gathering spaces. This was in 47 AD. A lot of those Christians moved elsewhere. Actually, Priscilla and Aquila, the, first, the second people mentioned here, actually moved elsewhere to other cities because that's where they were able to continue to exist and be. But many other Jewish people just sort of left uh, those centers and entered into and merged into the rest of society. But what happened with Christianity in that moment was it began to spread really rapidly through these Roman, Greek, North African parts of the city. So what happened is, again, there were no special talented people or anything, but the, the gospel continued to go out and these communities formed all over the city. Mostly Greek people, Roman people, uh, people in the upper middle class, people in the very low class, slaves, rich, all of that, and it began to mul multiply over and over again. Uh, and what happened uh, after that, about 10 years later, Paul writes this letter to this church. And when he writes this letter to the church of Rome, he's writing to about 100 or 300 people. It's, we're unsure. But that resulting church, uh, they, they were a group of people that met in multiple groups around the city of Rome. They maintained communication with one another, and they had leaders. Uh, they kind of had a common identity, so much so that Paul could write to the beloved church of Rome, and it was this whole shared group of people. They had a shared leadership, some of the people uh, that are mentioned here at the, at the top. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila were leaders. Adronicus and Junia, Urbanus, uh, Persis, those were the likely leaders who helped steward these communities that met everywhere. 
Uh, and then the names of those communities we actually see in this chapter, in chapter 16. We have a cool little map uh, of them. I'm really proud of myself for this map because that is actually Rome and the streets of Rome. Uh, and with some uh, level of certainty, those dots are pretty close, like within a couple kilometers, of where these homes were. Rome is a really wonderful place. You should go visit. You can see where they used to baptize people way back in the day when they weren't allowed to. It's really great. You can see the prison where Paul was, but that's way in the future at this point. But these are the communities. There's Prisca and Aquila's community. We know about them because uh, in verse 5, he says, greet the church that meets in their house. Then there's Aristobulus's house. Then there's Narcissus' house and the group of people that meet there with them. Uh, then there's the group of Philagian, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and all the brothers and sisters that are part of their community. That's a whole other one. Then there's the group of Philagius, Julia, Nereus, and the sister. This is who they were. This is the group of people who were saints in 57 AD, about 30 years or 20-something years after Jesus had died and risen from the dead. This city, which was the center of the known world at the time, had a church of about 100 to 300 people spread across these five communities. And here we find, this, I mean, it's beautiful. They're hard to say, but these are the names and people who met together, who existed together. Uh, they shared financial needs. We know that because Paul expects them even to contribute financially. That was part of what they did. They shared the gospel with many other people. They worked in industries. Uh, some were old, some were young, some were wealthy, some weren't. Living in this big city, they were raising kids. They were building little businesses. Some were artists, some were government officials. Some were prominent women in society. Others were men. There were gifts. They were busy. It was a city like ours. This city of Rome, though, was the kind of place where people would have said, that's where Christianity goes to die. I mean, the, the temples to paganism and, the, and the, the structures of power so deeply opposed to everything Christian or even a Christian belief was so strong in Rome that it's where people would say, hey, if you want to go there, just expect to have your whole faith in Jesus, you know, muzzled out of you because that's like not going to happen there uh, because all of society was geared in a completely different direction. Even the idea of resurrection, someone dead being risen to life in Rome would have been seen as the greatest curse, not the greatest hope. Like that's how opposed Rome was to the gospel. And yet, Paul writes to them, he says, you are filled with goodness, filled with knowledge, competent to instruct one another. This was a group able to remind each other of Jesus. They shared uh, Jesus with those who did not know. And they were a people that grew even out of a, an edict from the emperor. They grew and multiplied. They were people like us. They weren't special. They were in communities a lot like ours. They just uh, didn't have Wi-Fi. I mean, that's kind of like the difference when you really want to like talk. They had plumbing. Uh, I guess they didn't have electricity, but they had really sweet candles that burned for a really long time. They're just like us, uh, which I think is a really great moment to ask this question uh, and have our mission. I want to have our missional community share because we're part of this story. It's not this special story that happened way long ago, but even we uh, are living this out, as you could notice, in the same similar way. So I want to have 
uh, I asked our missional community leaders, some of them, to share just what your MC is like uh, today. So do you want me to call on people? Okay. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, so uh, five of us live in Hawthorne, and uh, there's others that are adjacent. Uh, and you know, four of us, uh, me and Sarah, and there's Kate lives in one house. Um, and we own the house across the street as well. Oh, we are right now. And there are also uh, other, other community adjacent. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, we've got to see a lot of cool things in the past few uh, years, and even in the past years we've been going through, uh, you know, sitting together, talking through. Romans, talking through the recent curriculum as well, uh, about uh, our, our covenant, what our mission is going to be. Um, so, yeah, that's really good. Sure, yeah. Uh, so, our mission that we're, we're just now kind of stepping into the first, what is this going to look like for us, is our tract. We're going to track like a half square mile. Um, and we're really excited. We've seen what God's doing in, in that just by us living together and, and providing us across the street and mm. how having the beer is there and, and that's we're all who we've known in our neighbors and we're excited that RMC is going to come alongside us and love on those people and love on each other through that. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see how God uses us in this neighborhood that's kind of older but younger people coming in and how we can love on older people and the younger families that are there. Um, yeah, some things I guess we're praying for, for the next year, excited about the next year is like what what is that gonna look like? Um, kind of like Sarah said, like what uh, what things are we gonna center around um, you know, in, in, that, mm. in that neighborhood, in the community? Uh, where are all the needs? Um, so we've like brainstormed as a as a community a couple of times. Um, you know, what what are things that we can do? Um, where where are their needs? Uh, you know, that that, that we can help meet. Um, you know, what people, what relationships is God calling us to, uh, to, to foster? So we, we've been trying for those like a minute every week, and thank you for us in that as well. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Yay, Hawthorne, the house that, those that meet at the house of your names are so much, you know, Katie and Chris and Sarah and Matt, yeah. Yeah. Who wants to share next, MCs? Allie. <laughs> Hi, I'm Allie. Um, my husband Jeff and I, along with Sarah P.C. Samalski, um, lead the Tall House MC. Um, RMC, RMC is also serving in kids, so most of them are out there. Um, we're traveling. Or have very young babies. We're about to have babies. But yeah, we... Um, are pretty much comprised of um, young families, which is wonderful, um, and married couples. We live mostly in Culver City, from like Overland to like, downtown Culver City area, a little bit of stuff. Um, and it's just been cool to see God transform hearts in our MC over the last year. Um, a lot of people who I think maybe weren't sure about the longevity of living in LA um, have now purchased homes by the mm. grace of God. And there's actually four families now in our MC all living in the same condo village, which is super exciting. Um, but 
but yeah, you know, the pandemic was hard. I think a lot of us lost a lot of relationships that we've had, a lot of missional focus. Um, we stepped down from jobs or got different jobs. Um, and so the cool thing that I feel like God's been doing in RMC that we've been seeing is like, like what, I mean, what Paul talks about, what the studies talk about, what Jesus talks about, which is like actual individual transformation. So yeah. a lot of healing from traumas, from family traumas, marriages, abuse, addiction, so many things God has, I think, taken this time where we haven't necessarily been on mission to actually do some really hard, painful, beautiful, wonderful heart work and heart change in our community, um, which is incredible. It's something that only he can do. And so we've been celebrating that and rejoicing in that as a group, um, just calling one another back to truth in that. And um, I think because of all that change that's happened in our group, um, it's also come with this excitement that we want our coworkers and my mom friends and our neighbors to actually have their wounds healed in the same ways that we have. Because now I think a lot more people in our group believe that it actually can happen and that Jesus actually can change you and fix you and heal you. Because mm -hmm. um, we can't do that for each other, but we can push each other towards that, which is great. So we're excited to see him do that. I think, you know, we've been doing our little constellation maps and there are, there's a lot of really cool overlap, especially with moms and Carlson Park and the communities and the places that we frequent, um, coworkers, grad students, like different kind of areas of overlap. So we're just excited to see God kind of continue to trend us into maybe some more individual relationships that we can pursue together. And we're obviously also getting to know the people that live in the building that half of us live in. And so, yeah, so we're just excited. I think people are just kind of on fire for the first time. Of like, man, like God does heal. And like, my friend is broken and I want them to be healed too. Mm. And there's only one way that that can happen. So we're excited to see what God's gonna do, do there and to, to see it in our kiddos. It's been really cool to see the kids and the babies grow together in this family. And I think it's also just given us a heart for the kids and for her too, to see them also experience what we did. So, that's it. That's awesome. Thanks, Allie. Yay, Tall House. Yeah, go, Evan. So we're a saw blade MC. Don't be intimidated by the name. Saw blade. Cosby and Sato are fortunes <laughs> but uh, yeah, we are uh, a newer MC, but it's been a really long time, and we just have the problem from this as well, which is really exciting. Um, and so uh, we this summer we took the kids to um, the the youth camp, and so that was uh, something I think the Lord worked in our hearts and. So we still kind of have a heart for the youth and a heart kind of just you know, seeing what the Lord's going to do in that direction in our Awesome. Thanks, Evan. Sawblade. Oh, y'all can clap. We can clap. Yeah. Anyone else want to share? No? You want to share? Andrew? Uh, so I'm Andrew, Katie, uh, we've got this called Redondo crowd. We've got the, <laughs> they talk about the beer and a lot of the rest of the We still claim the beer. <laughs> 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 with the Hawthorne people. We've also got Debbie, uh, which is 10 boys. She's got four boys. Uh, her husband is a 
I'm a uh, member of our community. Uh, that's us. Two years ago, I would have very confidently told you what our uh, mission set was, um, is, um, but we are still in a period of transition. I'll just say like, it was not immediately abundantly clear what our joint uh, community mission is. Uh, we still have a passion for uh, disabled kids community, um, medically fragile people. The pandemic has made that very hard. Uh, a lot of things, right? I don't want to use that as an excuse, but that community doesn't really let me in. So, um, yeah. Yeah, and a lot of people just recently. So, we're in it. We're um, still figuring out all these de defined roles. <laughs> so we live in Redondo, the southern tip of this church. Awesome. Yeah. Super exciting. Awesome. Uh, did I miss anyone? Awesome. You're going to share, Joshua? All right, for those of you who don't know me, um, we are in a MC with the Watsons, my wife, Danielle, and our son, Solomon Moses. Um, we actually just purchased a home in the View Park area. And so we are now south and east of a lot of folks in the body. And so the closest family are the Watsons. And so we have, we just finished set together, like most of you. And of course, coming out of the pandemic, we are also praying about what does mission look like for our community. Uh, we are a group of young families though, so a lot of kids and kid-related activities or interests, demands, if you will. <laughs> so I think that's probably gonna sh that's gonna have a shaping factor. Uh, but we're in a, that's where we're right now, and want to stand up because. If you live southeast of Colbert, <laughs> south of Morella, or rather than Yelm, she's here at home with baby, uh, and ask for what we're up to. We'd love to have you join us. That's awesome. Thank you, Josh. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so we, I mean, we could be, I don't know, these people weren't more special than we are. Uh, this would have been, I could see our names here if, if we were able to, you know, be alive in the first century. Uh, Paul ends his letter with a prayer that I, I want to read for us uh, to wrap up. He says in verse 25, he says, now to him, that's Jesus, who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaimed about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. This is how Paul finishes this prayer. Uh, this letter is with this prayer that they might be established, that they would know the gospel so deeply, so richly that all people, that's what Gentiles means, that all people would come to know, have a saving faith, in Jesus. And I think what's wild about this prayer that Paul prays is that it was uh, answered in really short order. Uh, by the time uh, a decade had passed since he wrote this, this church kept meeting. They kept adding communities to different pockets of the city. They kept seeing ordinary people become leaders. And by 70 AD, 
uh, this church that had read this book was now about the size of 2,500 believers in Rome. So from 100 to 300 to suddenly 2,500. And this sort of establishment of the gospel happened all over the Roman Empire. Uh, The good news of Jesus became a movement of transformation that there's actual historical evidence of, of thousands and thousands of people being transformed by the hope of Jesus. Uh, this is a, there's a map here of the movement around that same time, 70 AD. That's an important marker historically. It doesn't matter. But there, at that time, there were 34 churches uh, like this one in Rome that were scattered all across the empire just at 40 years after Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. What started as a couple of dozen uh, followers in 30 AD that we read about in the beginning of the Gospels, uh, by the end of the century, there were 7,500 Christians spread across the Roman Empire. Uh, we got another slide with that, those numbers, I think. And then by 300 AD, so a couple hundred years and change after Jesus, Christians made up 10% of the Roman Empire. That was 6 million people. And then by 350, just 50 years later, that figure was over 30 million, with Christians at that point being the majority religion in the empire. And just to sort of debunk what we might think about, oh, there must have been some military campaign or some political switch that happened, all these numbers are before there was any protection from the empire that they could even practice their religion. Uh, This was before uh, Christians were allowed to serve in the highest points of power uh, in the Roman world. This was with middle class, upper middle class, poor people, slaves, refugees. They became the dominant religion in just a few hundred years. We could say, uh, you know, a lot of people have tried to figure that out, but this all happened without the power of a government or power of a war It all happened long after the celebrity Christians of Peter, Paul, and James died. Uh, There weren't any more, there's no more evidence of incredibly uh, prominent, eloquent people or even strategic missionary journeys that happened after the 60s. Uh, The only power that they had was the power of this prayer. Now to him who's able to establish you in accordance with the gospel, the message proclaimed about Jesus. The only way it spread was just through basic social interactions from the people boldly proclaiming the goodness of Jesus because they did not know and they longed for them to see and they longed for them to understand. And it happened as they reminded each other over and over of the goodness of Jesus. What power accomplished this? The power of the Holy Spirit. And we are recipients of this movement. I know there's been hundreds and hundreds of years and a lot of wars and little messed up things with Christianity that have happened along the way. But this is the movement that we are heirs to. Uh, This is what we belong to, is a movement that happened like this. Uh, That Paul wrote this letter and that 100 years later, the gospel was continually taking root. And now is a movement all over the world Uh, There are even astronauts in space who believe in Jesus and share the gospel with other astronauts in space. I mean, that's kind of wild, right? This is the good news, uh, that it actually transforms our lives, that it powerfully pulses through our, our own personal lives, but then our families and then our communities. 
And so I just want to ask you strategically, place yourself on that kind of path where the good news is coming through you and where the kingdom of God is expanding through your life also. You know, will you engage in this movement with your life? Will you participate in it? Will you be a witness of it? Uh, Because Paul's prayer is continually being answered even in this city. The gospel is taking root. The gospel is growing. And we're witnesses to the power of the Spirit to transform people's lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. Jesus, thank you for... Uh, your church. Thank you for your kingdom come. Um, Yeah, I pray that we would be a church like those in Rome, that we would, that even studying this book for a whole year uh, and the work that you've done in our hearts and our souls uh, would be a a launch pad into seeing the the good news uh, take root in this city more and more, that there'd be more communities added, that these communities that we that exist in our church would continue to grow. Uh, we pray that uh, more churches would be started, there'd be more gatherings of your people all across the city, and that it would all uh, just reflect people's lives being transformed, uh, going from despair to hope, going from anger to peace, uh, going from isolation to belonging. Uh, we just want and we long to see you make people new. Uh, thank you for starting with us. Uh, making us new, and we pray that we get to see what this church saw in this city. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.